So the uh, so it says anicitta, dukkata, anatta. They're called the tilakana or the three characteristics. So these next three, as outlined by Ajahn Buddhadasa, of these nine tas, these nine eyes, dhamma titata, dhamma niyamata, idapachayata. So titati means to stand or to be established. So dhamma titata means established in dhamma or uh, of the of the nature of dhamma or the, of the fabric of dhamma. Uh, so the English word natural <laughs> is a very easy way of of um, characterizing that. So uh, everything, mental, physical, um, uh, every experiential object, uh, mental and physical, is part of the natural order. It is natural, dhamma tittitas, of the fabric of, of dhamma. The second one, uh, dhamma niyama, niyama means a law or a principle. So dhamma niyamata is the lawfulness of the dhamma or functioning according to the laws of nature is a... Um, is a, a way uh, to characterize that, you know, represent that easily in English. So that everything, every thought, every feeling, every emotion, uh, every memory, our body, every aspect of the physical and mental world functions according to the laws of nature, They're according to natural principle. And so even though personal will, like, you know, I decide to use these words, <laughs> that uh, that personal will can uh, be... Um, seen as operating uh, it's also that personal will and individual choice is also part of uh, functions according to the laws of nature our hearing our ability to comprehend words our ability to arrange concepts and to um, contemplate these are all part of the the natural order so and they function according to the laws uh, of nature whether it's uh, mental processes physical processes a spiritual practice uh, all of this is dhamma niyamata they all function according to the laws uh, of nature according to natural law and it's interesting with, with uh, all of these qualities these uh, lakana these characteristics um, uh, whether you know, they're, they're in the context of a spiritual teaching, a um, scriptural or religi religious teaching, but they also, uh, in terms of scientific examination, they all also stand up. You know, you can't name any aspect of the material universe or the mental world that isn't in a state of change. I would suggest you know, some things last a very, very long time, like protons. <laughs> you know, they, they, well, they. Yeah, a proton comes into existence. You don't often see protons decay if, uh, if you're a physicist, but they, they, they can do. They are a Nietzsche. So that uh, even though it's in the context of an ancient spiritual scripture, these also stand up to current-day examination by the scientific and academic community. So you can say everything uh, is uh, mental and physical is part of nature, uh, is uh, formed according to the... The laws of nature, they, uh, they function according to the laws of nature. And then iddapachayata is the law of causality, the laws of cause and effect, uh, how one thing conditions another. So Ajahn Tanisro is a very eminent uh, Buddhist uh, uh, scholar, meditator, teacher. He translates uh, iddapachayata means this, that conditionality. Uh, uh, idda means uh, this, uh, idang dukang, this is dukkha. Uh, idda, pachayata, pachaya means that to condition or to affect, to have uh, an impact on. Idda pachayata, uh, 
uh, conditioned by thisness. Um, so the law of conditionality is sometimes translated as specific conditionality. So this is uh, again that the, the uh, uh, everything mental and physical, all of our experiential world functions according to the laws of cause and effect. These are all non-personal. These, but we experience the effects of these these principles day to day, moment by moment. We are affected by these, so that. Uh, when we change our perspective uh, from a personal one to a dhamma-centered one, <laughs> then uh, w- one of the ways we can we can bring that about is um, contemplating cause and effect. You know, that having done this, and here is the result. This is the cause. This is the effect. Uh, all right. So then, that's uh, there's nothing going wrong here. It's like um, having a, come into a chilly environment, then. Starts to affect your nose, <laughs> so your nose starts to run. You know, the um, you gather in a, in the foothills of the Himalayas. The weather's cold, <laughs> so that's uh, it's just December. We're in Himachal Pradesh. The weather's chilly. That's this is the cause. This is the effect. QED as a as a natural result. So the more that we uh, are able to see things functioning according to natural law. And then are formed as part of the natural order. And even they say, well, not everything is natural, Ajahn. What about plastic? <laughs> what, yeah. what about um, you know, the, uh, uh, these bits of machinery? You know, these aren't natural. This is, this is you know, man-made. But I would say that you know, humanity is also part of the natural order. Our ability to dig things out of the ground and heat them up and refine them and turn them into um, purified metal or invent things like microphones and clocks. Yeah. These are all part of the natural order. You put them together, we say, that's unnatural, or that's, uh, that's pollution. And certainly from one perspective, uh, it, that can be said to be true, absolutely true, and that the problems of, uh, say, plastic in the oceans and in the environment are, are very profound. But I would, uh, within the scope of, of these teachings, that you say, well, the ability to make plastic, having made plastic... <laughs> humans 160, 170 years ago when plastic was first uh, created, I think in, the, in Germany, they thought, oh, this is fantastic. It's really a hard material. You can make it out of oil. It just comes out of the ground. You can shape it in any form. And it, it lasts a long, long time. This is great. It doesn't decay. Fantastic. 160 years later, still hasn't decayed. <laughs> it's still around. Ooh, ah, right. So how much of this are we making every year? <laughs> Where's it all going? So now we're experiencing the effect of those causes of, of us humans having learned how to boil up oil and extract these materials and make plastic out of it. But, and so this is the result. So it's not a good or, or, or beneficial result, but we're seeing what the result is. So those, are, um, those three are the, the middle three das, or, or the eyes that we can examine our experience with. And... Um, uh, I realize that these are probably unfamiliar terms to many of us, but they are all u- useful tools, just like we can look at the quality of unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, or not-self, 
for some people, just looking at that, things in terms of natural law, okay, this is how nature works. It's not personal, or like, like birth and death, having been born, things are going to die. That's, that's not a crisis, that's not a problem, it's how nature works. If something is born, necessarily it's going to die one day. If a thing begins, it has to end. That's the way nature operates. It's not a problem, there's nothing going wrong, it's natural law. So then the last three, uh, and this is again covering quite a bit of territory in a short time, but the last three are sunyata, tatata, and atamayata. So sunyata means emptiness, and tatata means suchness, and atamayata, which is a, a, quite a, an, an uncommon word in the Pali Canon, only appears about six times, in the Pali Canon, but uh, uh, again, Ajahn Buddhadasa uh, spent the last couple of years of his life talking mostly about Atamayata and called it the, uh, the ultimate Buddhist concept. So, Sunyata means emptiness, I mean, the, the, the fundamentally insubstantial quality of uh, every material thing uh, uh, or mental formation, uh, every perception, every feeling that. All things, every sankara, every um, uh, every aspect of the conditioned world is empty of intrinsic substance. Sunyata. Uh, uh, in the northern Buddhist world, sunyata, shunyata, is uh, very, very common. There's huge treatises written on uh, 13 different kinds of emptiness, and uh, probably even more than 13. <laughs> so sunyata, emptiness, is um, very commonly spoken of in the northern Buddhist world. And again, going back to the Heart Sutra, that form is emptiness, emptiness itself is form, so to uh, feeling, perceptions, formations, and consciousness. That's how the first section of the Heart Sutra, after its introduction, goes. But interestingly, in the Pali Canon, the adjective sunya, empty, is much more common than sunyata, emptiness. So sometimes when emptiness is being talked about, it can come across as a sort of... Um, a kind of almost like a, an ethereal substance or a sort of a, a, a thing which is not a thing. <laughs> it gets sort of reified and gets made into a, a quality. Um, in the Pali, it's much more uh, simple and straightforward. Like in, in the, um, the Chula Sunyata Sutta, the shorter discourse on emptiness, uh, with the, which is a kind of the main teaching on this theme. Uh, it literally starts off by saying, the, the, uh, the Buddha saying, uh, this hall is empty of elephants and horses. There, <laughs> there are people here, but there's no elephants and horses. You can say this hall uh, is sunya, uh, it has no elephants and no horses here. So if the people went, then they could say that the hall is here, but it's empty of people. And so it's, it's a very uh, sort of down-to-earth, simple uh, way of saying, it's, th this is present, but that is absent. It's empty of this uh, and, and most often the term sunya and sunyata is referring in, in southern Buddhist tradition. It's very closely related to anatta as well, like empty of self and what belongs to a self. Its position in these last three das, the last three eyes, it's talking about um, uh, not just uh, emptiness of self and, and what belongs to a self in terms of that common meaning of anatta, but also in, in terms of, of substantiality. So you can say, this is a table, but it's empty of intrinsic substance. So we put it together, we call it a table, but there, and then even if you look closely at it, there's a space between the molecules. So there, it, it is empty of intrinsic substance. There's no absolute permanent intrinsic table there. Everything is empty. 
And uh, again, one of the one of the often quoted teachings of the Buddha is um, a dialogue uh, along with the the young Brahmin student Upasiva coming to see the Buddha. Another one in that same group was called Mogaraja. And Mogaraja asked the Buddha, uh, "How can we best evade the king of death? How can the the, the king of death be uh, avoided?" And the Buddha says, "If you see uh, all things as empty, as." Uh, uh, if you see the emptiness of all things, sunyata, then uh, mogaraja, then the the king of death will be evaded. So uh, sunyata means empty of uh, intrinsic substance. Tatata is suchness. So uh, uh, the word tathagata, uh, the the one thus come, the one thus gone, which is the word the Buddha used to refer to himself. The word suchness, tatata, suchness, is closely related the term that the Buddha used to refer to himself and that passage I was quoting uh, about the, from the Buddha's dialogue with Vachagota where he says the Tathagata is profound, immeasurable unfathomable like the great ocean so that the, the quality Tathata is, that is referring to that suchness, that isness that, or thusness it's again a bit indefinable but that quality of presence which is not definable in terms of the five khandhas but it is present. <laughs> so these two um, qualities, in a way, they're, they're a pair. Uh, so it's the, the wisdom mind in reference to the experiential field. Sunyata is saying, no there's, no, there's no thing really there. Whereas Tathata is saying, yes, there is this, <laughs> there is this reality, uh, there is the Dhamma, there is this, this quality which is present. Uh, if that's, this isn't too confusing. So uh, if you're inclined towards negativity, then it's good to reflect, uh, use tatata, suchness, as a means of approach. If you're inclined towards eternalism, then sunyata is a good form of approach. And then the last of these three, atamayata, is, is very interesting. And uh, in this book that uh, uh, Ajahn Pasno and I put together on the teachings on Nibbana, uh, uh, called The Island, uh, maybe there's a copy in the there should be a copy here in the Deer Park Library since I used that uh, as a um, basis for the last set of teachings here so uh, atamayata uh, again a, a long Pali word a means not or is a negation uh, tang comes from uh, the word meaning that uh, and then miya is made and ta is ness. So, not made of that ness is the precise meaning of it. Not made of that. So, the the origin of the word uh, comes from the 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 understanding of the mechanics of perception in the Buddha's time. So, if you see something, it was understood that a kind of uh, energetic ray comes out of the eye, occupies the seen object becomes consistent with that tanmayata and then returns to the eye with the object that was how uh, so there's a going outness uh, and a, a, a kind of a being con uh, taking the form of what's seen and then a returning so tanmayata means consisting of that or, or made of that atamayata means not consisting of that or not made of that so it's a not going outness so it's like the mind not uh, going out in, and 
creating a false solidity, a false substantiality in the experiential world of, of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or thinking. So it's a, it's a subtle word, and it's a, it gets translated in different ways. Um, uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa, his, the English translation of it is, uh, I think he, uh, he uses different... Uh, different renderings of it, but uh, not made of that is is one way that he talks about it. Ajahn Tanisaro translates it as non-fashioning, so referring more to the objective side, not making that. And then Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi, who's the uh, main translator of the Pali into English uh, that uh, most people come across nowadays, in the middle-length discourses where it appears a couple of times, he translates it as non-identification. So it's uh, referring to more the subject side. But they both apply. I would say not either non-fashioning, non-identification, because it's emptying out both the subject and the object. So atamayata is um, really representing that subjectless, objectless uh, awareness. Again, that's a bit spacey, <laughs> but uh, uh, it kind of relates a little bit to um, well, the question about the uh, infinite consciousness. Again, these uh, refined states of concentration, where uh, infinite consciousness refers to the subject side, infinite space refers to the object side, and then may- maybe maybe you can make a case for saying the fourth of the four formless jhanas of neither perception nor non-perception could be seen as kind of related to atamayata, as like it's um, neither perception nor non-perception. It's not creating a world out there and not creating an observer in here. Um, That's just coming to my mind as I'm saying it. (laughs) But uh, there might be some some resonance there, But uh, uh, so you might find a way of lining those up usefully. But uh, those... uh, Arupajanas are states of a very, very refined concentration, whereas when we're talking about sunyata, tatata, and atamayata, these are more qualities of attitude and uh, refinements of wisdom. Ajahn Buddhadasa referred to atamayata, he said, this is the last word of Buddhism, the final sword. I've got Manjushri behind me, <laughs> usually carrying a sword. This is the, final, the last word, the final sword of Buddhism, the ultimate Buddhist concept. So the last couple of years of his life, he was trying to raise up a tamayata, sort of make people aware of that, uh, saying this is the most uh, refined quality of, of wisdom that can be cultivated. And so we dedicated a whole chapter in that, that book, The Island, uh, to this, to, to explore uh, the qualities of it. Uh, so it's a, it's a little bit um, tricky to uh, form a, a mental image, but I think... For me, the subjectless, objectless awareness, so there's a letting go of, uh, of an I, the experiencer, I, the meditator, that uh, asmi mana, and there's a letting go of any kind of solidity of, of an object, and, and, and essentially the, there, there isn't a, a subject and an object that are separate from each other, but there's this awareness which is um, attuned completely to the present experience, but is not creating a person and not creating a, a world. It's the, end, the ending of the world and the ending of the uh, I, the, the heart is free of, of the conceit I am. And uh, in the discourse to Megya, the Megya Sutta, which again you can find in the inspired utterances, the Megya Sutta, I think it's chapter 4, Sutta number 1, I could be wrong, but I think it is, uh, I think it's Udana 4, 1. 
Maybe some of my brothers can correct me. My sabna. <laughs> anyway, it's in the Udana. Uh, and the Buddha says that contemplating anicca leads to the insight into not-self. The insight into not-self leads to the ending of the conceit I am. When the heart is free of the conceit I am, of asmimana, that is nibbana here and now. So uh, that, um, I feel, uh, gives a, a clearish picture of what we mean by atamayata. So it's a, like a total letting go, and not even a, anyone, any being who's letting go. So uh, that, that, with that quality uh, of, of clear vision, atamayata, this is, um, is also characterized in the Buddha's teaching to Bahia. Uh, and I was talking the other day about how the Buddha would use uh, teachings that relate to someone's background in order to, to phrase his expression. So Bahia was a, a bark-clad ascetic. He wore robes made out of tree bark. Uh, and the, that particular group of, of wanderers, yogis, uh, they um, seemingly used the Brihad Aranyaka Upanishad as their basic text. And so this particular teaching, the Bahia Sutta, is kind of the riffing on the Brihya Aranyaka Upanishad to some degree. So the Buddha uses language that's related to that Upanishad in teaching Bahia. And uh, Bahia has traveled a long way to meet the Buddha and to, was eager to receive teachings. And he stops him in the middle of the street while the Buddha's on arms round. He says, you know, Bahia, this isn't a convenient time to give teachings. The, the sun goes on our arms round in the... And Bahia says, well, life is uncertain, Venerable Sir. Neither you nor I know when we're going to die. So please teach me the Dhamma. This goes back and forth three times. And eventually uh, the Buddha says, well, if a Tathagata is pressed three times, then he has to answer. So then he says to Bahia, this is also a very well-known teaching, in the seen there is only the seen, in the heard there is only the heard, in the sensed there is only the sensed, in the cognized there is only the cognized. This is how you should train yourself. When you know that in the seen there is only the seen and so forth, then you will recognize that there is no thing here, there is, there is no subject who is the experiencer. And when you recognize there's no thing here, you also recognize there's no thing there. Um, and when you recognize there's no thing there, you will not be able to find yourself either in the world of this or in the world of that or any place between the two. This by here is the end of suffering. So by here, to his credit, became an arahant right there, hearing that, that kind of two-minute teaching. So he got the, uh, the Buddha did give out, not exactly awards, but <laughs> recognitions. And so Bahia got the, the recognition as being the one who understood the teaching most quickly, hearing it for the first time and then becoming an arahant on the spot. And Bahia, to his credit, was also right about uncertainty because a few minutes later he got knocked down by a runaway cow and died in the street. <laughs> so, but he died in, uh, an arahant, and so uh, that, uh, it ended happily in that way. <laughs> So that uh, letting go of, uh, of this, if you see the sensory experience, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, uh, is empty of self and is empty of other, then you won't be able to find yourself either here or there or any place between the two. And that non-locality, that realization of non-locality is the ending of suffering. Uh, the very last thing I'll say, the fellow who asked the question earlier on about consciousness isn't there. He's non-manifest. <laughs> maybe he's sitting somewhere else at this moment. 
uh, and also the, the question about uh, infinite consciousness. Yeah, trying to pin things down in terms of words and concepts is always going to be unsatisfactory. So one of the most helpful teachings of the Buddha in this area is yena yena hi manyanti tatotanghoti anyatati. Whatever you conceive it to be, the reality is always other than that. That's the kind of basic premise. <laughs> Whatever you conceive it to be, the reality is necessarily other than that. And not just because you haven't done enough thinking. <laughs> it's like the words and the concepts can't entirely catch the reality. So words and concepts can only be a, a, a kind of a working model or a, a um, set of convenient fictions. So on that note, I'll leave things, things for you to consider.